Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Greg Bendian, and I'm also welcoming back one of my favorite musicians and someone who I've been listening to since I was a wee lad and just a big fan, big admirer of his work. He is one of the progenitors of progressive rock music as we know it, a member of Genesis GTR, and of course, all of his tremendous solo output. Welcome back to the podcast, Steve Hackett. Hi, Steve. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm okay. Thanks again for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you so much. You've got a bunch of cool stuff coming up, and uh, I thought we could jump off talking about that a little bit. Um, sure. You have recently been touring, uh, performing the music from Foxtrot by Genesis, uh, the 50th yes. anniversary. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh Foxtrot was 1972. Um, in order to fulfill the commitments of touring that album live, um, I've been on a kind of permanent catch-up um, since the pandemic. Um, one of the shows I was due to do with an orchestra was deferred for three years. <clears throat> People bought tickets all that time ago. And um, so that's why, in answer to the question, why are you doing a centenary of that album, which stretches into not just this year, but into the following year. But yeah, as I say, uh, fulfilling commitments that were meant to be signed, sealed and delivered uh, two or three years ago. Um, that's what's going on now. So um, that that's part of it. But I've been touring it in Europe um, extensively, Europe, Scandinavia, various parts of the world um it's kept me very very busy both the genesis stuff and the other stuff the other more recent stuff and the solo stuff and <clears throat> various things working with loads of people in different situations but the band are as glorious as ever i'm, I'm a big fan of the guys that i i work with they do great work with me they do great work on their own great work with other people they're extraordinary players um so i know that that there was this idea with genesis that um in the early days albums like foxtrot people would listen to the album and then they'd see us live and they'd say you guys are much better live than you are on record and um one tries to address that so there's a live version from brighton uh england uh on the on on the coast um uh mixed by chris lord algae so american producer mixing work by originally written by by genesis 50 years plus ago but it sounds fresh as ever done by this guy it's it's a extraordinary extraordinary mix it sounds absolutely wonderful i'm i'm thrilled with it well there's a timeless quality to that music i know mm. that touring playing that music with the musical box as i did for for a number of years mm. it just always felt very organic and as if it was just unfolding in real time i'm very curious now that you've gone back and, and taken another look at the music from foxtrot mm -hmm. which for, for many people is kind of when the band starts to step up into its more mature period after nursery crime how yeah. do you feel looking back at that, that group of, of songs, which we now consider to be classic prog? 
Um, well, I think it's rhythmically sophisticated. It's certainly complicated and syncopated and all those adjectives, but um, there's still a sort of simplicity of intent that runs through it. And that's something that I look for when I hear, you know, some of the most complicated classical things, um, listening to Bach with all that masses of technique being displayed, there still seems to be an intention th through all of the convolutions and all of the things that are so difficult to get your fingers around. And I suspect that the appeal of Genesis is somewhat the same. I'm not saying that we're on a par with that, but I'm saying that music that's detailed delivers because the devil is in that detail. That's the whole point. And with a lot of modern music that I hear that bypasses a lot of the processes, um, I realise that that you know when you've got modern stuff being made with perhaps um, one singer and one programmer, no musicians. Um, to some extent, that's all you need to have a, a hit record. Um, but I think if you're scoring a movie or or if you're hoping to be the next Beethoven, I, I don't think you can get away with that. I, I think that um, there has to be something that engages musicians. In other words, I know that might sound elitist, but at the same time, um, what is it that drives people to want to learn to play musical instruments? Um, that can be a self-taught process, as it is in, in, in my case, or perhaps you can go the classical route. Usually pianists follow that. I don't know too many self-taught keyboard men. It's, it seems to go with the territory, but um, nonetheless, there's this reverence and the need to explore what people have done in the past. Why have they done that? Why, why does something work with orchestra? Why does Bach's work um, come across on a Cassia tone and at the same time, the Berlin Philharmonic? It seems to be indifferent to the instruments that are, are playing it. Um, but somehow, uh, something that's through composed and uh, really felt by the musician, I think, um, has got a chance of influencing people and lasting a lot longer. Well, that's the intention, anyway, at, at the end of the day, if any of this stuff survives, and I'm, I'm thrilled that it survived as long as it has done. Um, if it lives on beyond my lifetime, then I, I think, uh, job done, then, you know, um, Lots of musical collisions that that work. There's a section in Can You Tell and the Coastliners, which is a, a song that we didn't really perform with, with Genesis, but now I get to perform it as part of, in, uh, of doing the album in total, where although I wrote the song part and the, and the, and the lyric, actually uh, the most interesting part I find is when the band starts to jam on two chords and then Tony starts to do his work, his sort of harmonic wonder with a, um, a Mellotron string melody that sounds like it's from 
arguably Prokofiev or or any classical composer. It's certainly worthy, worthy, worthy of that. Phil is doing jazz drumming. The guitarists are just hitting a couple of chords, but there's rhythm there. Um, and there's three different worlds going on. There's folk, there's jazz approach, there's classical approach, all working together. Perhaps the most successful collision of disparate styles and schools that I've ever heard. And it's only a short section. It's over in a in a in a minute, I think, at most. Well, Can Utility is is an interesting piece because many of us who've done some deep search on uh, Genesis know that it started out as a bye-bye Johnny. Is that right? Um, I think that was a joke that, that Pete used to use. Um, uh, he might have used that when things used to break down, which they did regularly back in the old days. Bye-bye uh, Johnny. It's, it's entirely possible. Maybe it's because it came from the guitarist's pen. Uh, bye bye Johnny, guitarists, you know. Bye bye Stevie in that case. Yeah. And you you were the one that brought the seeds of of can utility to the band. Yeah, yeah. That was the the intention was to the intention was to write something which was even at that early stage um, in a style that was typical of Genesis and. Um, I was trying to produce something, if not to order, then certainly in the style of, uh, so that it would be supported by a couple of 12 strings. And um, uh, as, as we did, you know, multiple chiming instruments, which was part of the appeal of the early band, but then it got to be taken places that um, were perhaps unexpected. I remember, funnily enough, we used to go to the Marquee Club in London when it was in Wardour Street, and Charisma offices were, were just above. And um, I, I used to go in there because it was a little bit like our, our local watering hole, you know, it couldn't be closer. And so they used to let me in. I didn't have to pay on the door. And there was a German guy called Uli who was on the, on the door and they'd be playing music and he'd be playing in his little kiosk. And I, I heard strains of that and I didn't recognize what it was. It's always lovely when, when this happens. And I said, oh, who's that? And he said, you're joking. That's you guys. And I thought, ah, job done. I've heard music. I didn't know who did it. And I've been I'm thrilled to find out it was actually us or me. And um, I've had that happen a few times since, like on one of the cruises on the blue. There was some orchestral stuff. And I said, oh, that sounds really lovely. And my wife turned to me. Joe said, that's you. But if you don't catch the first note, that's the best thing. Uh, and you just hear a tail end of a, of a melody. And it's not that I'm getting older. I've always been uh, losing memory, but this is something that's always happened with me. I don't necessarily recognize something that I've done, certainly not, not at a distance. Uh, but it's always nice when you hear something and you think, oh, that sounds good, only to find out later you've been involved with it. There's no, there's no greater payoff other than John Lennon saying that he considered Genesis to be true sons of the Beatles uh, at one point. So he's on record saying that on on a, on a recorded interview. And um, again, praise doesn't come from any higher quarter than that. So well, um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. This stuff is worth worth preserving. And also the the kind of strategy that had started out in nursery crime or even earlier of, yeah. of the 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 scale of intensity. So going from very delicate acoustic to really yeah. intense electric, right? Yes, I think most loud Genesis tunes tended to start off quiet to start off with. The, not too many that go bam from the word go. Um, there's usually a bit of meandering and then whammo. I used the same thing myself when we were doing um, Camino Royale with Nick Magnus. He had some chords at the beginning um, and then the band kick in and then there's an accent as well. So that uh, uh, idea of uh, syncopated music, but something that, that's very loud very quickly, but not necessarily right at the beginning. So its nearest relation would be um, Dance on a Volcano. Well, one day I'll get to do it with an orchestra so that you get to hear the full the full power of that that first loud chord. Did it on bird the That's it. Yeah. <laughs> the thing. So a syncopation and big things that come in on an accent. I mean, great. Uh, love all that sort of stuff. The, the, the element of surprise is there, of course. First time you hear something like that live, and uh, that's really what it's what it's all about. It's a shame that anyone ever has to get to really know a piece of music. It's like me hearing "I'm the Walrus" for the first time on a little mono radio, and thinking, "Yeah, truly interesting. Who the hell was that?" Only to be told by the DJ that was the Beatles. So that's an interesting period for for you musically because it, we get horizons out of that period. We get yeah. all great stuff with the multiple twelve strings on Southern <clears throat> Ready. And yeah. I, I think that it seems to me like there are things that come out of that, particularly like Apocalypse and Nine Eight, that are yeah. jams. Would that be fair? <clears throat> yes. Yes, I think I think that album Foxtrot is probably. The, the band at its broadest in terms of influence um there's horizons on one level influenced by music from the 1500s and the 16 and 1700s um and then right at the beginning of, of the album in other words two sides that begin with completely contrasting music you've got something which was an attempt to do a sci-fi film, but in music with Watcher of the Skies. Um, no one has, no one's used it in a movie as far as I know. Uh, maybe it's been used in documentaries, but it's with the re-records that I've, I've been involved with with that. It's sometimes been with an orchestra. It's sometimes been in Surround 5-1. Uh, nobody, I'm aware that there hasn't been an Atmos mix of it yet, but the sound of the Mellotron that I was particularly um, particularly concerned with, very picky about what the sound of the Mellotron sounds like. Um, that's all been part and parcel of it. So these days we sometimes use the Mellotron the strings, the brass, the English accordion that underpins the <clears throat> thing as a, as a bass instrument. Um, sometimes Roger, King will add to that with modern samples 
Um, other times he strips it right back and says, yeah, I thought that maybe the character of it initially was best. We smooth off the strings <clears throat> uh, a little bit so that they're not too nasty, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm sure you'll be familiar with the sound of that Mellotron strings going at you. Of course. And Roger King has been such a long time musical partner of yours and still at it. He has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been touring in South America the past few weeks and uh, came back really tired, of course, a thrilling tour, but absolutely shattered just from the from the flights alone. And um, and um, I said to him, oh, yeah, we my understanding is we're recording tomorrow. And he said, yes. So Thursday we start recording again to finish off an album. And I said, you know, it's been so busy. I'm coming in for a rest by comparison. He said, he said to me, um, yeah, that might be a rest for you, but not for me. But he'll be working the knobs. He'll be trying to bring my dreams into reality. So uh, it's part of the price of admission. But there we are. It's his very dry sense of humour and my my endless demands for questing for perfection and adventure and uh, and everything. I think I learned very early on that you never really get what you really wanted unless you were very, I wouldn't use the word demanding, but focused on on what you want. Uh, that's the whole point. You listen back to something you think, why isn't it working? Oh, perhaps if I just change this, perhaps the snare drum just needs a little bit more effect on it or a bit more ambience or a bit more bottom on it even, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, Sometimes it's fatal doing things with with um, with samples because a sample might give you something that the human can't do, but the human will give it the feel and 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 the choreography, for lack of a better word, um, the extreme amount of detail that usually you won't get out of out of programming unless you're a drummer yourself in the first place, of course. So there's always that, but then sometimes the combination of man and, and machine. This, of course, will be heresy for any drummers listening to what I'm saying. God's given drums, don't need any messing about. And indeed, depends how they're recorded. Depends who's doing it, depends on the room, depends on the ambience, depends on all sorts of bloody things that um, we can't do. We have to hand it over at, at some point, unless you're a master at either programming or drumming yourself, of course. So who's rounding out the current band, Steve? Current band, same as my touring band, uh, Roger King, first and foremost. Uh, Rob Townsend on brass woodwind, multi-instrumentalist, keyboard percussion, his department. Um, <clears throat> and um, uh, on vocals, Nat Sylvan of Swedish-American extraction. Jonas Reingold, the other Swede in the band, currently residing in Austria. Uh, incredible musician. They're, they're all incredible in their own way. Uh, uh, Craig Blundell on drums. Many drummers hero is, is, is Craig. <clears throat> Few hit them as fast and furiously and as solidly as, as he does. Um, he's got a very loud, a very loud sound. Um, I think he uses this 
recoil technique that produces a really a really loud sound this is something this is a noise that drummers didn't used to make some years ago um i think perhaps the only the only other drummer that i've heard hitting in that hard is would be marco minimum um it's i'm told by both those guys that this it's this kind of re recall technique so you're hitting it but then there's this there's the snatch that goes with it i just don't know how the hell they do it it's the opposite to a soggy sound it's incredibly crisp and it hits you like a a steel girder it's a, an incredible thing and the combination of him and and um and jonas together it's 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 a mighty rhythm section to be it's yes battleship destroyer coming at you it's incredible stuff just from the rhythm department alone well the the heavier elements of genesis always struck me as proto metal if you think about like the end of hogweed it's yeah. just such an an attack well yeah i think you're right i mean i tony was doing mellotron brass and i thought the only thing to compete with that was power chords two notes bass notes and i was doing that through one of the fuzz boxes i used to use can't remember if it was the duo fuzz or whether it was the color sound but um and of course it all ended up sounding like pure brass because by the time you've got organ brass i think he was using organ as well and, and and power chord it all meshes into into one um i've recorded it since uh in recent years on genesis revisited number two the second volume of <clears throat> the nostalgic revisit that i that i insist on doing from time to time on record and uh neil morse on vocal on that taken a little bit faster than the original um and i think it's also got prototype uh, tapping on the on the front uh all of that uh, i think it was mike portnoy with uh, transatlantic i i heard them playing it at a faster speed and joined them on stage at a festival here in london and relearned the tune and i thought actually you know what when it's delivered with this kind of it's almost as if it was the same song but performed on cocaine it's just gone up a little bit faster <laughs> the heartbeat is going a little bit dangerously fast and uh, but it it, it 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 helps to um um what was it he said yeah yeah you know maybe uh gives a little bit of extra speed to the old war horse you know Hmm. And and this year, Steve, is also next month, the 50th anniversary of the release of Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, I was out there doing that album um, two or three years ago, um, uh, pre-COVID, um, just because it seemed like a great idea to do a Grand Slam thing to do. Um, the whole of selling England and most respectful mornings to give people a show of perhaps their favorite aspects of, of 
things I've been involved with over the years. And um, uh, so strictly speaking, yes, if I was doing the pure centenary thing, which I think a number of the of the, of the, the tribute bands are doing, uh, it'll be uh, it'll, it'll it'll be right for either this year for for um, for that one, and then seventy four. I think seventy four translated to twenty twenty four. Um, I'll do some lamb highlights. Um, if not, I, I don't think I'll be doing the whole thing. So I'll leave that to tribute bands should they wish to undertake the whole the whole shebang. Go for it. Um, we in Genesis tended to feel that the album, perhaps, if you whittled it down to your own personal favourites, uh, you could have a very strong single album. The album got to stretch out into lots of atmospherics and bridge passages and um, various other things, none of which are bad within themselves and have, have been influential i like to think um because it is so long ago um but um there's some lovely moments on it uh, extraordinary things um but i think you know undertaken as a whole is very um kind of lead singer dependent and dependent on theatrics and and and, and all the rest i think just to do it straight uh perhaps doesn't deliver in quite the way that the original did or was supposed to do. Of course, you know, anyone with an un endless budget and an upgrade could be doing what we as Genesis threatened to do in 2005, which was reconvene the team that first got together in 71. Uh, but it was not to be too many um, people were pulling in too many different directions. Some wanted to do it as a musical. Some didn't think it was um, suitable for that that it would be too complicated um, as a musical uh, we'll never know because the power of veto remains with each individual member so the 50th anniversary of things there's so many this yeah. year birds yes, of fire by mahavishnu orchestra was wonderful yeah so was mahavishnu something that you guys were checking out around that time I think so. I think uh, Mahavishnu was on the turntable. I know that Phil was very keen on that. I think that to some extent, the, the direction that Brand X were to head in was you know, somewhat based on the idea of the fire and fury of that. Um, and I, th I think that um, you, you have to look back over the course of history. You get to see... Um, uh, the effect of free jazz on what we now consider to be prog. Uh, prog is a catch-all term for something that we we weren't really aware that we were we were doing. Um, there was a certain amount of the influence of of, of jazz. Uh, John Coltrane, the influence of John Coltrane upon King Crimson, the influence of King Crimson on, well, you could say on on, on uh, Mahavishnu, the influence of Mahavishnu on King Crimson. These things are all, if they're not documented, they're all up there in, in, in the, you know, the whispering gallery of confessions. Um, so uh, 
they've all got something to say. John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane, in fact. Um, so it, I, I find it very interesting if you look back a, a little further to Ornette Coleman and uh, John Coltrane, um, you get the seeds of a lot of things that a lot of the outrageous things they were doing then, maybe in front of smaller audiences, uh, the wee proggers, as we're now known, um, ended up taking to much larger audiences. But but essentially, they were the same, the same ideas, much the same as the Stones taking basic blues ideas to a wider audience. Maybe it's just a case of being um, younger. And so a new face on the block or several new faces uh, might be able to represent the same ideas. Well, you were in your early 20s, yeah? Sorry? You were in your early 20s at that time. Yeah, early 20s. And, and you know, we weren't, we didn't have to deal with segregation and all that shit. So um, we, um, we, we just, uh, we got out there. We were British in America. It took a long time for the for the penny to drop. Um, audiences just wanted a boogie instead of listening to our, um, our our musical opuses meets odysseys and 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 all the rest. So people didn't really really get it. Um, I think as the production values increased. Um, and, and as the budget went up in order to allow us to do that, so the, the audience numbers went up exponentially. So people like to see a show. Um, uh, it doesn't mean that it's any better music or worse music. It's just, okay, the circus happens to have 20 elephants in it. Fine, I want to go and see that show with, with 20 elephants, you know, with, with the dancing girls in the wings and the... Uh, and the lasers and all the rest. It was Bill Bruford who was saying that, you know, you guys don't take any chances, do you? You know, you've got all this, all this hardware out there and uh, all this expense. And uh, of course, people were interesting, interested in seeing a show where I suspect, you know, the complicated aspect of the music was, wasn't necessarily what brought people in. I don't know, there couldn't have been that many Musos interested that were fill arenas listening to that stuff. Um, it helps to have uh, the ability to be able to do a coast to coast TV show. And I think when we did the Mike Douglas show, as it was in 19, oh, might have been 77, 76, um, suddenly, you know, from playing to know people in Dallas, for instance, to you know, being able to play to 18 or 20,000 um, was there overnight. Um, it was Shoko, who were based in Dallas, who were doing our sound and lights, but no way could we play the South. We just couldn't do it. But funnily enough, I'm going to be taking a chance of doing the South again myself in a few, well, actually, I don't know if it'll be this year, maybe next year, but it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of coming up. It's in the pipeline. Mad fool that I am. And what kind of country music do you play? None, sir. <laughs> you are. <clears throat> so the uh, the album's coming out. Uh, is it going to be a DVD as well? Of of uh... Uh, yeah, it's yeah, like a live fox drop mixed by Chris Lord Algie, who's done a great job, um, and um, 
uh, yeah, it, it 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 sounds wonderful. You know, for a live revisit, it sounds sounds great. It's and really the tour well played and mixed. And the tour is starting in, uh, I think, kind of auspiciously in Quebec in October, someplace where Genesis landed pretty well, I think, at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, for for some reason, French Canada took us to heart um, in the early days, and um, I don't know whether word travelled over from France itself, but France was an early supporting region for us, as well as French-speaking Belgium, of course. Yeah, I just I'd like to say thank you, Steve Hackett, for all the music over the years and the inspiration, and just the tremendous variety of approaches that you opened our ears to classical and jazz and rock and all sorts of things. And it's really been a pleasure. And Oh, always, thank you. Always great to talk to you, Steve. I, I'll try and keep it coming. Still making a noise for a living. Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks okay, see you out there on the road, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye.